more good news today. That's awesome. Good morning. Oh, before I get started, I'm going to walk down to that front pew and grab that bulletin that I did not bring up with me. Just trying to exercise professionalism, right? <laughs> Good morning. Uh, and God spoke all these words. That is actually how Exodus 20 starts, which is where we find the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Actually, no, there's more before that. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I make my students memorize that and then the following like 15 verses every year. You think I wouldn't mess it up still. You would be wrong. Bless you. So continuing on uh, yesterday. It's all yesterday. Last week, we looked at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, and this week, uh, I would like to look at Scripture, which I know is something we do every week. We look at Scripture, but Scripture being, um, I, I was kind of low-key going through the uh, Confession of Faith in a Mennonite's perspective because we did the first three articles last week. So the next article, which be, would be Article 4 in the uh, Confession of Faith in the Mennonite Perspective, is actually Scripture. Um, and for those of you who know me, I came to Anabaptism. I became a Mennonite kind of out of charismatic church by way of, uh, well, Reformed Presbyterianism. So there's some of that in there, too. So whenever I run across Scripture, the phrase that always is forefront in my head is sola scriptura. It's one of the five solas of the Reformation, right? Which is just something that still echoes in my very being when I think about it. I am saved through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, who I can know through Scripture alone for the grace of God alone. You don't have to be a Presbyterian to have that resonate with your very spirit, because as far as I know, that is Christianity in a nutshell. Amen. Thank you. But I am saved through, through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, that I can know through Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Anyway, um, but we also, in the Confession of Faith... Uh, do take a whole article to explain Scripture to say that we value Scripture. So I would uh, use some of those verses as a reference point. Whether I say anything else from that confession of faith this morning, I don't know. We'll see. But I do want you to know that it is in there. And if it says Mennonite on our sign, we should probably once in a while look at what it is that that word means. One of which being the Confession of Faith from a Mennonite Perspective. It's 24 articles, which I affirm. But it's be, I affirm them because they come out of Scripture, not because they're Mennonite. Right? And I want that to always be true. This is where Scripture comes along. How do I know the revelation of God? Because of Scripture. 
Can I know Jesus as my personal savior? Absolutely. I'm actually a continuationist, which means I believe, see another $20 word, sorry. But what that means is I believe that the Holy Spirit is still moving in this world. That is not a popular uh, Reformed Presbyterian belief, but I'm no longer one of those. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is still moving and the Holy Spirit is still doing things. But how do I recognize the Holy Spirit? Because it lines up with what I know about the Holy Spirit through the revelation of God is given in Scripture. There's some silly sayings that are actually really cute, and I like, I think, what they're trying to get at sometimes. But there's a lot of pastors right now saying it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And I think that that is a weird thing to say. I get what they're getting at, right? But at the same time, the Bible isn't part of the Godhead. It reveals God. God, these are the words of God. These are the very words of God. So when I read them, I can know my God. It doesn't mean that I'm worshiping the Bible. It means that I'm trusting God's authoritative word. By show of hands, have I lost you? Okay. Because I have a really stupid joke that I made up for one of my kids that's in quarantine because I had to send them their messages and they weren't responding. So I'm just, uh, what do you get when you cross an elephant and a duck? I don't know, but I wish it would get out of my bathtub. See, stupid joke. Cost you nothing, I hope. All right. I'm going to start in Psalm 19, which does not involve elephants nor ducks. And hopefully no more bunnies. All right. <clears throat> the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto knowledge, or night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is the section I actually want to focus on. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his error? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. 
Our confession of faith points to, I believe, verses 7 through 11, which talk about the statutes of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is, in the Bible, when it talks about the law, it's talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's talking about the Torah, the Septuagint. No, not Septuagint. What's the, yeah, it is Septuagint. Okay. I forgot the Greek term. Because all of my education is in education and not in theology. So I'm still learning all these million dollar terms I'm throwing around, which as I shared with you last week, actually stems from an insecurity because I'm dyslexic. And so I'm trying to compensate for the fact that I can barely read these words by using them all the time. It makes me feel better. It's a security blanket. I'm not trying to sound, well, I'm not intentionally trying to sound smart. I'm trying not to sound dumb. Kind of ends with the same result, but the motivation is from a different spot, okay? So if it ever bothers you that I keep throwing out all these terms, well, for starters, I'm excited that I know them, and I want you to know them too, because there's just libraries full of scholarship that use these terms that are worth reading. They can help you draw closer to God. So if you learn a couple words, that's great. If I go overboard, let me know. I'll try to dial it back. Again, I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that I can know through Scripture alone for the glory of God alone. Not because I know $20,000 words and proper, uh, some systematic theology, or Greek, or Hebrew. I barely know English. Anyhow, let's move to Deuteronomy from here. But I wanted to point out that in our confession of faith, which I am referencing again, it does talk about the commandments of the Lord and the laws of God, and that is what we are trusting Scripture for, because the law exposes our sin. The law cannot save us from our sin because we can't follow it. If we could follow the law, we wouldn't have needed a system of sacrifices. We ultimately wouldn't have needed a redeemer because we can't follow the law. We're inept. But the law, as we find in the Old Testament, exposes our sin. It exposes how much we fall short. So when we look at Article 4 of the Confession of Faith in a Mennonite Perspective. I need to come up with an acronym or something for that. That's a lot of words. When we look at the book, <laughs> we see it pointing back to the commandments and the law. So, inher in excuse me, inherently, we are affirming that God set statutes for us to follow. Oddly enough, I don't think anyone would really argue with that, that God has set statutes for us to follow. They may interpret them very differently, but I don't know anyone that would just be like, no, God doesn't care what we do. Well, not in Christian spheres. You don't really hear that. God doesn't care what you do. If you hear anyone say that, just pray for them. They have issues. All right. Deuteronomy 6, and I'm actually going to start from the beginning of Deuteronomy 6, even though my focus is, of course, the Shema, which you hear every other week until I die, because it's really 
should be the first thing in your mind when you wake up and the last thing in your mind when you go to sleep. It tells you so itself. Now, this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that you may be well, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now here's the part. This is the Shema, which in Hebrew means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the way. When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as signs on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We are to teach the law of the Lord to our children. We're supposed to discuss it constantly. It's supposed to be something people notice about us. It's... Uh, and now some people say that it, it is realistically on your hands and between frontlets of your eyes. In fact, you'll see people wrap themselves up with those leather bands and that little box between their eyes. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But there's sex of Judaism where they actually do have things that they wrap around their hands that have the laws of God. And it actually has something that hangs between their eyes that actually also contains the laws of God. They're taking this very literally. Whereas I would say, symbolically, everything you do should point to the fact that you are a follower of God. It should be on your hands. It should be on your head. It should be written on your doorpost. There's this cool little box, and someday I'm probably going to get one. Not because it's magical, but because it's cool. It's called a mezuzah. And it's just a little box that contains the laws of God. And you actually can mount it on your doorway. Jewish homes typically have those. Someday I'll probably get one, but like I said, not because it's necessary that I own one, but because that's a beautiful reminder. But even my home should remind people that I am a follower of God. And I'm not sure how far that goes. Does that go to where people are driving by? They're like, that's where that weird religious Johnson guy lives. I don't think it necessarily means that. But there should be a peace about my home. My parents like to refer to their house as the lighthouse on the hill. That's what they always wanted. They wanted a piece of, place of peace where they could worship God and kind of be back away from everything. And I think it's because of this scripture, actually. That's where they kind of came to this, is they wanted a house on a hill. They wanted a lighthouse on the hill. That's what they decided back when I was a kid. Of course, that made no sense to me when I was a kid. Like, it's not a lighthouse. Like, there's no thingy. <laughs> you know, the spinny thingy with the light. Oh, I don't know the word. But they did, they did get a garage recently. They built an external garage, and it has one of those... 
it's not a steeple because it's a garage and it has a light in it. I don't know the term, but they're closer now. Does anybody know the term for that? Thank you. That is it. Cubolo? Yes, they have a cubolo. So they're basically a lighthouse now. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> I was just going to say, my wife knows that word. Did she learn it from you? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> I'm going to jump ahead to Hebrews 4. Something I'm also trying to get back in the habit of, and again, it's a tradition. Well, I don't know if I should call it a tradition. It's a practice. Um, where when I started attending here, and I know long before I started attending here, there was typically an Old Testament verse, a New Testament verse, and a Gospel verse. So I'm trying to reincorporate that because I think that's good practice. We talked about in Sunday school how you can see Jesus in all of Scripture. And I think what better way to demonstrate that than by actually using all of Scripture when we teach it, when we come together to discern it, when we want to think about it. All right, so I'm in Hebrews 4. Verse 12. I'm just going to use verses 12 and 13 for right now. I highly encourage you, though, to read whole chapters of Scripture and don't just pick out the verses that are in your devotionals. Because Scripture should, we should be careful not to take it out of context. That's my point. Try not to just grab half a verse and use it to your advantage. That's a, a way we weaponize Scripture against each other. We've got to be careful about that. For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Thoughts and intents of the heart is the hard part. In Judaism, you have to follow a bunch of physical laws, which is fantastic, right? It set you apart as a peculiar people. You followed God. You didn't eat pork. You didn't walk a certain distance on the Sabbath. And about 611 other things that you probably just didn't do or did do that made you Jewish. They just had a laundry list of things. It's like, oh, we don't do that. We're Jewish. And that would be hard to follow. But think about it. In a way, it's much easier to follow. Because to be a proper Jew, you just don't have to, like, you know, don't commit murder. Simply Take that one thing that you feel like doing, killing that guy, and you don't do it. And you haven't sinned. In Christianity, Jesus tells us if we're angry with someone, it's as if we've killed them. So that guy I felt like killing, I've already sinned in my heart against him. It takes it to just such another level of ownership where we're trying to be holy as Christ is holy. 
Can we do it? No, but we can fully rely on Christ. And that shapes the way we think. Because if I have to exercise just simply not killing people, that should be pretty easy for us unless we have a serious mental defect. Right? Not killing people should be kind of second nature to us by now in a society, right? When you take it that step further and we're like, you know what? I don't want to be angry with people anymore. I don't want to harbor hatred in my heart anymore. And what I'm finding is that forgiveness is a journey that you have to keep doing sometimes. Especially if something is a big deal. Right? Sometimes forgiveness happens daily. Daily you pick up your cross and you follow Jesus. Because I may wake up tomorrow and realize I'm still angry about something from 30 years ago. And that doesn't make me special. You do it too. Let's recognize our sins, people. Some days we're going to wake up and there's going to be an argument from 42 years ago and you realize that you're still angry. Or that you've become angry again. And if that's never happened to you, it just simply means you don't have siblings. Or relationships. Never gone through a bad breakup. Boy, I got quiet. We find these things in Scripture. The concepts I'm even talking about, we find in Scripture. How do you know Jesus? Think about it. How can you know Jesus? Now, some of you are going to say very experientially, well, I dwell with him and he dwells in me. I affirm that theory. I affirm that very highly. That's true. If you abide in Christ, he will abide in you. Yes. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Great. That is awesome. Yes. I affirm those things. How do we know those things? Scripture. You know those because you believe Scripture. There is nothing... I shouldn't say that. There's very little we can know about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that isn't revealed to us through Scripture. It's affirmed through the natural world. But there's very little we can know about God that we don't find in Scripture. In Sunday school today, we were talking about using Scripture to see Jesus. About using Scripture as a way to learn about Jesus and not just learning Biblical concepts. They're very related, though. Learning biblical concepts and learning theology is fantastic. And there's uh, a question that Rob asked me once long ago, which was, to what end? Which means, why are you doing it? Why are you learning Scripture? Is it to be right? Is it to be right before God? Is it to be able to point out when other people are wrong? Is it because of fear of hell? Why are you motivated to learn your scriptures? That's a real question. And some of you are going to answer it differently. And no matter what your motivation is, I'm going to encourage you to continue to read your scriptures. But when we're reading our scriptures, we find that we get to know our God. We get to know the heart of God. If there was nothing else in it for us. Now, I'm not claiming this. 
So please don't, don't listen for what I'm saying wrong. Listen to what I'm saying. If there was nothing else in all of this force than to serve the God of creation, would that be enough? Shouldn't that be enough? But that isn't it. God calls you his friends and he calls us his children. And he offers us life eternal. At what point should that be enough? What does God have to give us for, it, for, for Christ to truly be enough? At some point, I'm going to learn the balance between biblical truth and a Sunday morning guilt trip. I'm still kind of wading through that. So, Pointing back to Romans 1, no, Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Keep that in the forefront of your mind. Keep that in the forefront of your mind. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to keep being forgiven once Christ has forgiven you. My brother's a Baptist. He's a very good Baptist. I love my brother. All of his sermons end with an invitation to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, which is beautiful. Most of his conversations end with an invitation to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And I remember once, uh, several years ago now, I brought up the question of, how many times must I be saved? And from now, what am I being saved from? His grace is sufficient. He died once for all. You can put faith in Christ to forgive your sins and restore you to the Father. There's a hymn called Blessed Assurance. I like it very much because that isn't necessarily the theology I was raised with. You can be assured that Christ wants you. Christ paid a very large price for you. He's not looking for the next reason to throw you away. What he does want you to do, though, is to know him. If you spend an hour a week with someone, you will eventually get to know things about them. Sure. If you spend an hour a week listening to someone talk about someone that's supposed to be your friend, you're going to know them a little bit less. You're going to learn about them, but you're not going to know them. Do you get what I'm getting at? You can sit here and listen to me, and hopefully you learn about God. Hopefully. If you want to know God, that's something you have to be a part of. And the way we get to know God is through our scriptures, through prayer, and I would actually say through community with other believers. And if you have children, they're going to teach you more about God than anyone else. They're going to teach you how God feels about you in ways no one else can. And I've brought this up in the past, and I'll continue to bring it up, that how many times have I turned to my child and been like, why won't you just do what I say? I'm trying to do what's best for you. Don't you get what's going on here? 
It would be so easy if you would just listen to me. I get it. You don't. Why won't you listen to me? But she doesn't want to listen to me because she has a clear picture in her head of how it should be. And is the way she wants things bad? Actually, no. She's a sweet kid. She wants things to be good. But she wants things to be good her way, which sometimes is not realistic. And if that isn't a demonstration of how God must feel about us, I don't know what is. And then I'm going to Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. You see what happens there as Jesus is talking to his disciples after his resurrection, and he's saying the things that the Bible said about me, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, the wisdom literature. That's the entire everything before the book of Matthew. All these things that it said about me. There's a very take-it-or-leave-it attitude about the Old Testament among modern Protestantism, Christianity in general, where they're just like, oh, it's good history. No, don't buy it. Don't buy it. The same people will tell you it's, it's, uh, they'll be like, oh, it's good history. And those same people a lot of times will be like, oh, it's not a science book. Or, uh, cute. Maybe both of those are statements are true. Maybe they're not. But can I tell you that Jesus himself affirms that those are talking about him. So they're important. They're important for us to know. You can't know what is being fulfilled if you don't look at it. You can't know what you're being saved from if you don't have it to look at. The Old Testament exposes our sins. It shows us who we really are aside from God. If you're just counting on the Sunday school stories that you learned from Veggie Tales, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. You can't just teach the Old Testament moralistically because there's only one good guy in the Old Testament. Maybe two. But other than Joseph and his fantastic dream coat there, no one else in the Old Testament is a good person. They're all tragically flawed and do horrible things. There's a couple other references to people that aren't that bad. But David, a man after God's own heart, you might not want to hang out with him. He certainly wouldn't be eligible to be elder here. Think about it. There's no good people. There's one incredibly good God using incredibly flawed people, showing us all our need for Christ. And hopefully I didn't tie that up in too small a package because there's so much going on in the Old Testament. But you can see Jesus in every bit of Scripture. And I would encourage you to do that. Because above all else, we're Christians here. Right? Some of you are members. Some of you affirm the Mennonite perspective on things. 
Some of you attend here. Some of you don't know what the difference between a Mennonite and a Methodist is. And to be honest, it doesn't matter that much. Because what we should be doing here is glorifying God. We should be growing closer to God. We should be growing closer in community. Because I'm a Christian first, and I'm a Mennonite second. As long as Mennonite continues to fall in line with Scripture, I am one of those. I love it. I love the tradition. I love the interpretation of Scripture that says we're a priesthood of believers and that we need to interpret things together. I love it. I don't like it. I love it. But I'm not saved through the works of Menno Simons, and I'm not saved from 500-year-old traditions. I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, who I can know from Scripture alone, by the grace, or for the glory of God alone, not for my glory, for the glory of God alone. And that's all I have for you today. So at this time, um, we have a time of announcements and prayer and sharing. If Chad wouldn't mind coming up to lead that. If there was no name there, I was probably going to make Chad do it anyway. <laughs>